0: Thanks for joining us on the New Beginnings Podcast, where our goal is to help people connect with Christ. We hope you enjoy listening. Well, this is it. You are here. Part two of our series on Joshua. Real quick, how many of you were not here last week, missed part one? Go, please go online, YouTube it, uh, watch it on our website, nbchurch.tv. Go watch Joshua part one. This is definitely one of those series that I think does build because it's connected to a big Story. And Joshua is basically this huge figure in the Old Testament. A lot of people would even say that he is a type of Christ. If you don't know this, everybody say Jesus? Okay, we made that up. That was not his name. His name in Hebrew would have been Yeshua. And it was actually, this is the Jewish version of what we would say, Joshua. And so Joshua literally means God's salvation. And so Joshua in the Old Testament has these kind of types of being a savior to Israel, of which Jesus, of course, completely fulfills through his life and death and resurrection. And so Joshua is this really cool character, though. If you don't know who he is, he was Moses's. Moses's? Moses's right. That's right. I can't say that better. It's Moses's. He, He was the right hand of Moses. I was going to say, he's Mo- Moses' right-hand guy, and, and he's this incredible young guy that was one of the slaves in Egypt, comes through the 40-year uh, of wilderness, and him and this other guy named Caleb were one of the two guys that were a part of the original crew that actually made it into the promised land because of his faith. And so the very beginning of Joshua, literally the first verse is, hey, Moses died. That's it. That's the very beginning. It's like, hey, Moses is dead. How would you like your book to start with the death of the greatest leader in the history of the nation? That's how the book starts, and it begins with this idea that Moses is dead, and by the way, there's this incredible challenge ahead of you. Like, there's this place called the promised land, but like, everybody wants to live in paradise, so everybody already lives here. So there's giants and fortified uh, fortified cities and a bunch of bad guys, and, and you've got to fill in for Moses, but take on this incredible task and challenge of taking back the promised land, which was, again, considered God's land for his people. And so they come into this land and that's, that's where it is. Joshua kind of stuck in between like, okay, Moses is dead. And then I got to cross the river and take over the promised land. And, and we talked last week about this idea of like, whenever you're stuck between that right there, you'd be incredibly insecure. You'd feel like, oh my gosh, this is bigger than me. This is more than me. I don't know that I can handle this. And the whole first chapter of Joshua is God's response to Joshua's Insecurity, And I, I encourage you to go check that out. Go read through the book of Joshua. Read along with us as we go. But as we move forward into the story, we really get to Joshua chapter 2. And there's a detour. Everybody say detour. How many of you like detours? Yep, nobody raised their hand. Because detours make you angry. Um, does anybody, let's, let's just be honest. Okay, anybody deal with like driver anger out there? You get a little frustrated in traffic. Okay, in not a detour like... Two weeks ago I'm coming to church And you would think, Todd, you're coming to church You're in a, you're in a godly state of mind You're, you're in shalom you're, you're, you're at peace, right? You're, you're ready to deliver God's holy word And you've got to be in that great state of being And so I, I'm coming up down or You're coming up, Isabel, to go to the church And like, the thing is backed up And I keep seeing these dead gym bicyclists Coming down the road Spandex <laughs> Fluorescent colors Clothes that are too tight, little helmets, you know. And I'm like, man, they got a dadgum bike race going on. And what they had done was is that they had literally had cops blocking the intersection. And like, but you're in there. You know, it's not like you can see it and then bust a UE and like go a different route. This is like the only route and I'm in it. And I'm sitting there like, oh my gosh. And, and by the time, it took forever. I literally, I, it felt like an eternity. Do you ever, you ever feel like that? And you look down, it was like five minutes, but it felt, it felt like forever. And, and the cops had blocked the turn that I needed to make. So not only am I stopped waiting on these bicyclists to like do their race. And then the cops are like, stop and like let one bike go. And like, you, okay, go. And he was like, what, one, one, anyway. It was a little bit of, a little bit of hangover. Anger there still apparently, but not, not only am I delayed, but then I'm detoured because I can't turn left. I have to go straight and then go all the way down this way and then find another. It's a detour. And, and, and the reason why I talk to you about detours is because Joshua chapter two is a detour from the story. If you were to read Joshua chapter one, Skip chapter 2 and then just start reading chapter 3. It's as if nothing happened. It's as if you could have read them seamlessly and chapter 2 didn't need to be there. There's a complete detour. Now, don't you know like when life has a detour or you have to, don't you take it personal? Like I'm looking at those bicyclists like they offended me. Like they did this to me. Don't they know where I gotta go? Don't they know what they're doing to me? And you take it so personal. And you can get upset and you can get angry and you're so, you get frustrated by detours. Uh, The the worst is when like you have a detour that they, you know, they're gonna take you along a path. And this is what stresses me out is when they take the signs for the detour and they spread them out too far. And you're like, oh my God, am I still on the right detour? Did I need to turn to where? Nobody likes detours in life. And, and Joshua chapter 2 is a total detour from the story. And then what you're going to see is, as I kind of explain it, it there, there's all kinds of detours going on around even this one specific chapter. So let's, let's just begin reading. Joshua chapter 2, verse number 1, the Bible begins like this. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land... That's the name of the city, y'all. Get your minds out of the gutter. But that does mean, like, you need to be careful when you name places. You ever, you ever do this when you name your kids? This is my wife and I did this when we named our kids. You're like, what about this name? And you try to think of every way that a middle school kid would make fun of my child. Because some kids called me Retod when I was a kid. And I didn't appreciate that. y'all wonder why I am the way that I am. You're like, he's kind of mean. Well, I was picked on a little bit. So um, the name of the city is Shittim. I don't know how other way to say that, people. That's when you know you're in a bad place in life. That's where you're at. I totally have lost my train of thought. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from the place that they were at and said, Go, look over the land. Especially Jericho. And so they went. And they went to the house of a prostitute named Rahab. And they stayed there. Everybody say detour. A couple young guys supposed to be checking out the land. Especially Jericho. And while there, the Bible does not shy away from this idea. Like, they went to Rahab's house. Now, I don't know. Because it could have been like, hey, we know that we'll blend in with some shady characters and no one will notice us. And they, they were just being crafty spies. It doesn't say that that's what they did. I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt. But depending on how you view humanity and young men in their crazies, I don't know what they did. But they went by the prostitute's house. Then the king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. This is the message. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman who had taken the two men and hidden them, she said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up to them. But... Actually, she had taken them onto the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out onto the roof. So not only does the Bible not shy away from the fact that they went to the prostitute's house, the Bible doesn't shy away from the fact that Rahab is a liar. And you would think, wow, now here's what you need to be careful of. And and, and please don't be quick to dismiss scripture because when you read the Old Testament, what you have to be careful to do is remember that much of the Old Testament is descriptive, not prescriptive. Like, there, there's no way that the Bible's condoning this behavior. The Bi- I don't know what Joshua would say when the boys get back. I don't know how this would be viewed. But I'm telling you that this is not prescriptive behavior. This is descriptive behavior. This is one of the reasons why we actually can kind of believe that the Bible is accurately written. Because if you were trying to write a holy book, probably wouldn't put this in here. But it was real. It was raw. This is the way that it really went down. That was, that was what was really going on. And so, In the story, you see these things going on. But again, I want you to see that it's a part of a larger theme of chapter 2, which is there's a big detour. They didn't need to tell this story, which means you might want to clue in because there's a reason. The author felt like it was important, not just to give this historical layout of the armies and the battles and how it all went down and who got this land and who got that land. So it wasn't just this big picture idea. But they take a moment to hone into an individual, to a very personal moment, to something very, very descriptive, and there's a reason why. And we'll get to that in just a second. But again, I just want you to get you to see that it's all based on the idea of taking a detour. Because really, the whole reason that they're kind of in the mess that they're in is because of a huge detour. I don't know if you know this or not, but they came out of Egypt. We're supposed to go straight to the promised land. But because of their sin and rebelliousness, because of their negativity and complaining about everything, God said, y'all can't go in. Forty more years, y'all are not ready to take over the promised land. And so even, even their whole journey has been a large detour. The spies take a huge detour. I would say Rahab's life had taken a detour. The fact that she was called and known as Rahab the prostitute. Now, I don't know about you, but when we start out as as little boys and little girls, we don't normally start off with our dreams and our ambitions and our goals in life and saying, you know what I want to be when I grow up? And my guess is, is that Rahab's life had taken some type of detour. And detours are hard. They're challenging. They can sometimes throw us off to a degree that we can never fully get back on track. Like I know some people that have like physical detours. Like they had something hit their life physically, a sickness, an ailment, and it seems like my life was supposed to go this way, I was on this path, and then all of a sudden I'm I'm detouring like crazy. You ever had a relational detour? Like when you said I do, and it turned out they didn't, and then you're like, what do I do now? Because this isn't the way that I pictured it on that day with the white dress and the black tuxedo. That's not the way that I so I now I'm in this huge Relational detour I'm not on the path that I thought it was Somebody dies in your life And if something tragic happens to you And your faith takes a detour All of a sudden you were like Yeah I believe in God But then something tragic happens And your faith takes a detour And you're bouncing all around And what I want you to see is this Is that this is an incredible story Of a woman whose life is a detour And she shows us how to get our life back on track Let's just keep reading Because the text is fantastic Let's just just keep going with it Um, So Joshua chapter 2, verse number, let's jump down to verse number 8. So the Bible says, before the spies lay down for the night, she went up to the roof and she said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and when you did so or when you and what you did to Sihon and Og the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan who, whom you completely destroyed and when we heard of it our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you for the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below I just want you to see that again the spies are on detours Israel's on a detour I think Rahab's life is a giant detour from what you want to be on. Um, let, let, me, let me say a few things about detours in addition to what I've already said. Um, sometimes you want to be careful not to get angry at your detour. Put it this way. There's some reasons why you have detours in your life and they need to be examined. Like number, number one is this. Is sometimes God causes my detours? You ever think about that? But I was so angry at those bicycle people. I was so angry that this tragedy happened, that that this setback happened, that this sickness happened, that this relational thing happened. You're upset in the moment. And what you don't know is that sometimes God was the very cause behind the detour. And sometimes you don't know why God's doing it. In the moment, you're frustrated. But it could be that God's setting you up for something better. It could be that God has a reason. As a matter of fact, think about this. You know, we're talking about the Israelites taking a detour. Listen to this. In Numbers chapter 13... I'm sorry, let me say that again. In Exodus chapter 23, it says this. And it's talking about the Israelites getting into the promised land. Remember, that was the main goal. That was the plan. That was the path. You getting into the promised land. Look at what God says. He says, but I will not drive them out, meaning all the Canaanites and Amorites and parasites and other bad people. I will not drive them out in a single year because the land would actually become desolate and the wild animals too numerous for you. So little by little, I will drive them out before you until you have increased enough to take possession of the land. So God's saying, hey, look, I could get get you from point A to point B faster. And how many know, like, that's why we bought microwaves, right? Microwaves were like the perfect thing for people that didn't like crock pots. We we wanted instant. We wanted fast. I want to get to point. That's why we buy sports cars to get to point A to point B as fast as we possibly can. And sometimes God's like, no, sometimes you need, you put your life in a crock pot and let that thing marinate. It'll taste better, It'll be a little more juicy, It'll be a little more tender. Life will be better. Sometimes when you take the slow route and sometimes God's doing something in you that you're not even aware of. Sometimes God's working something out in you personally. Sometimes he's just working something out in your future that your future's not ready for you, or it could be that you're not quite ready for your future yet. But God's up to something interesting. This is where we get the idea that sometimes when life takes a detour, the Apostle Paul said it like this, but I believe that all things work together for the good of them that love God and are called according to his purposes. So sometimes the detour that made me angry was actually God doing something, orchestrating something, and he's going to bring some good out of it. As a matter of fact, I read a story recently. It was, a, it was like an old rabbi that lived a couple hundred years after the time of Jesus and the rabbi had created his own parable. And the parable was just simply, the Lord is always doing something good in my life. I have to believe that and let that become the framework for everything else. He was just repeating what Jesus had said, what the Apostle Paul had said, that God's doing something good. I just need to let him fully work it out. And he told a story about how he was traveling to a city, but when he got there, there was no lodging. So he actually had to go outside of the city and set up a camp. And in his travels, when he was traveling to the city, he had a candle. He had a rooster, and he had a donkey. This is not a joke, by the way. Somebody's like, this has got to be a joke. It's almost like a, a rabbi, a priest, and a, you know, going to a, it, it, it sounds like that. It's not. But he said that I had a, had a rooster, I had a donkey, and at had a candle. And I'm lodging outside of the city because there's no room in the city. And sure enough, a, a, a wind comes along and blows out the candle. A cat comes along and kills my rooster. And then a lion came along, and it killed my donkey. And his friend was like, this sounds like a terrible, no good, very bad day. He goes, but I believe that the Lord is doing something good. And he said, so later that night, an army invaded the city that I was supposed to be dwelling in and killed and took captive and all these bad things happened. He said, and then I recognized I was outside the city, so I, I wasn't harmed, I wasn't attacked. And yet at the same time, had the candle been lit, they would have seen me. Had the rooster crowed, they would have heard me or had the donkey cr- uh, I don't know what they do. It's like, what does the fox say? Um, But he goes, so I just have to hold on and always recognize that the Lord is doing something good. That's the framework from where I start everything. So for some of you who you feel like your life might be on a detour, first and foremost, ask yourself, like, could God be doing something in me right now? Is there something in me that doesn't belong in me, that if it was still in me by the time I got to the promised land, I wouldn't be able to, like, handle God's blessing or success or what he has for me? Maybe something in me has got to come out of me, and God has brought me on this detour. If you're ever curious to know if you're on a divine detour, I I would say this. Number one is, is, is if you're being obedient. Like, like if you're in disobedience, I, I wouldn't go to, oh, God's got me on a detour. No, you, we'll get to that in a second. You, you probably got, you on a detour. But if I'm being obedient, that's a great example. Like David, King David in the Bible, when he's a teenager, they anoint him and say, you're going to be the king of Israel. Now, if you're a teenager and somebody tells you you're going to be the king, I mean, that's awesome, right? And the, the very first thing you want to happen is, is like, well, I want to become the king right away. But David's whole life from that point forward spirals into chaos and he's hunted and he's lied about and good things happen and bad things happen. And sometimes he's living in a cave and I mean, like he's got a a crazy life. But what you realize is that God had took him on a detour so that he could prepare him to become the king that God needed him to be. And so sometimes you're just being obedient. That's the way you can know. The other way is that God, I believe, gives you a peace, that you can find peace in the midst of the storm if it's a divine Detour, but sometimes it's not a divine detour. Sometimes it's it's not God that causes my detours. Sometimes I cause my own detours. You ever been there before? You ever got you're like, how did I get myself into this? What what have I done to trigger this? And we can kind of tell pretty quickly. No, I remember I made that decision. I went down that road. I made these choices, and these choices have led me to this incredible detour. I told you this story earlier. Let's read it real quick. Here. Numbers chapter thirteen. The Bible says that Israel goes on a great detour and part of it is because of their own mess. Listen to this. But the men had gone up with him and said, we cannot attack those people in the promised land. They're bigger, stronger than we are. And they spread out among the Israelites this bad report about the land that they had explored. And they said, the land that we explored it just devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. This was like, you remember the stories of Goliath and these giant men that that was the sons of Anak, the, the Nephilim. And we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we looked the same to them. And so this is the story when the spies go into the land the first time around and they basically come out and they complain and they're full of doubt and they're full of negativity and they, they, and here's the thing that really really goes bad one of the mistakes that Moses probably would have recalculated and done differently is this is when he sent spies everybody knew the spies went in there and so when the spies came back and they were negative they spread it to everyone which is like a rule of thumb when you want to be negative and critical one of the most spiritual things you can do is just shut up and keep it to yourself because you don't want to spread negativity You don't want to spread doubt. You don't want to spread that criticism. If nothing more, just hold on to it until you can work it out in you. But certainly don't go blasting that stuff on Facebook. Don't go blasting that stuff to every friend and person that you know. Don't spread it because then it goes throughout the whole camp. And the Bible says that they went back in the desert in part because their own critical nature and negativity and doubt. So they caused their own detour. Here's another one. Sometimes others cause my detours. Um, I know this to be true because when I look at, um, certain adults and we look at our adult decisions, we have to take responsibility for those, don't we? But sometimes I'm looking at a person's life and I'm looking at where their life began to take detours, even while they were little kids. And that's where you recognize real quick that like, okay, that's, you got to own it now and figure it out now, but somebody put that on you. Somebody brought you up in the environment. Somebody spoke those words over you. Somebody abused you in that way. And you might have to deal with it now because you're a grown-up, but in reality, somebody else caused that detour. I would say Rahab's probably that way. Think about it. Rahab, at some point in her life, took a detour, and there's a great chance that somebody did something to her. Something bad happened to her. Something tragic happened to her, and because of somebody else, she took a detour. And I'm, I'm, let me help you real quick here. The fastest way to get out of this detour, as painful as it might be, the fastest way out of this detour is forgiveness. Because what you don't know is that by being angry and bitter at that person, it kind of locks you into your detour. Oh yeah, by this, this is somebody's kids. I never see these. You guys probably have great kids except for right now. That, that one, just this one time. I've never seen that number before. It's probably an anomaly. So anyway, somebody go check on that kid. Let's go. See, the kid's better. <laughs> but the fastest way to get off this detour is to forgive somebody. Because to harbor the bitterness keeps you on the detour longer, if not physically, but emotionally, you're hanging on to the detour. And you've got to be able to let that people, everybody literally went into their pockets like, is that my kid? Don't worry about it. The number went away. Everybody, they're fine just put a Band-Aid on it. Um, So sometimes other people cause my detours, but here's what I really want you to like believe and know, and this is what we're gonna see in the next part of the story, is that even though detours happen, you cannot, this is the beauty of grace, you cannot detour out of the reach of God's grace. You can't. Because I'm telling you, I've seen people go so far off the path, go so deep into mess, get into such chaos and craziness, and it just makes their redemptive story a little bit wilder and a little bit more fascinating. But I'm telling you, I've seen some of the worst detours in life, God's grace pull them back. And that's what you have to have hope for today. If you find yourself in a detour, you need to have a little bit of hope and you say, what if God can bring me back. What if God can forgive me? What if God can somehow get my feet moving in the right direction? What if God can order my steps? What if God can arrange heaven and earth? What if God can bring it about? And having that level of hope, knowing that, you know what? No matter how bad it seems to have been, maybe just maybe I'm not outside of the grace of God. Let's keep reading because this is how it all comes together. So Joshua chapter 2, verse 15. The Bible says, so that Rahab... Let them down by a rope through a window. For the house she lived in was part of the city wall. And so she said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. And then hide yourselves there for three days. Everybody say three days. Three days. days, Until they return and then go on your way. Now the men had said to her, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless we enter the land. Unless, I'm sorry, when we enter the land, you have tied a scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother and brothers and all your family into the house. Here's where Rahab totally pulls the story together and you begin to see some incredible things. Because Rahab's life had taken a detour. The spies had taken a detour. Heck, all of Israel had been on a big detour. And and you know what's funny about Rahab? Is that you would think this little story in Joshua chapter 2 that doesn't really even belong there would be there for a moment and then would completely disappear, but it doesn't. See, Rahab's little tiny story that slips into just one chapter ends up being, I believe, maybe one of the most pivotal ideas of grace in all of the Scripture. And this is what she does. So if you want to get your life off the detour and get it back on track, here's what I want you to do. Number one is this, is I want you to make a bold declaration of faith. That's number one. Like, you've got to do this. This Isn't this what She does. When she talks to the spies and they're like, hey, why are you helping us out? And she goes, because I believe that your God is the one true God. He brought you out of Egypt. You crossed the Red Sea. I see, I know, I'm seeing what you're doing. And she makes a bold declaration of faith that would have been so weird. Here's this Canaanite woman, grew up pagan, is a prostitute by trade who lives in a pagan city. She had really no reason to want to like connect herself to this people or connect herself to their God. And she makes this bold declaration of faith. And what I want you to do is this, is anytime you find yourself in a detour, I want you to go back and begin to proclaim the promises of God over your life. I want you to speak faith over your life. Make some bold, like out loud, make some bold proclamations of faith. And here's, here's why I told you she's in the New Testament. Listen to this, Hebrews chapter 11. If you don't know what Hebrews 11 is, Hebrews 11 is kind of this famous chapter in the New Testament And the whole chapter is one person after the other and all the great things of faith they did. And all these awesome people are in there, like Abraham is in there and Moses is in there and all these like incredible stories of faith and then slid in there is, oh yeah, and Rahab, the prostitute, along with Abraham is Rahab. And this is what it says in Hebrews 11. It says, by faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And so I want you to know, like, the New Testament recognizes her of like, hey, this girl, along with Abraham and Moses and all the greats, she's right there in them. She made a bold declaration of faith. Number two is this, is take action. Like, like isn't that what she did in essence? Like, Because this is, again, and you would think, if she's in the New Testament again, she's in there again. But look at why, James chapter one. I'm sorry, James chapter two. This is James speaking. This is the, the little brother of Jesus. Writing in the book of James, he says this, In the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. The whole point of James was saying this. In James chapter 2, he makes this big idea that you really need to get your head wrapped around because I think it's a fall of the current American 21st century mentality. He redefines what faith really is. Because he says you need to be careful, Christian, 21st century American Christian, he knew 2,000 years from now, he knew. He said be careful that you don't lump faith into this thing where it's just a belief or it's just something that is an intellectual acknowledgement to the existence of a thing. He goes that's not what faith is. Faith is something that triggers action. And if there's no action following, then you have to question the faith that triggered it. Meaning like faith demands and requires for you to take a step, to take a, take a leap of faith, to act on it, to do something. And that's what she did. She didn't just make a bold declaration of faith and say, yeah, the Lord, he's the one. She acted on it and actually risked her life to act on it. And so I want to encourage you, like, whenever you find yourself in a detour, Do something get busy with something, get active with something, take some steps, make some plans, try this, experiment with that, do what it, keep obeying God in everything that he asks of you, take some type of action. It's almost like this. You need to pray as if it completely depends on God, but you, you need to like get to work and take some steps and make some action out of your faith. Do something. Number three is this. I love this one. Because this is what she did. Not only did she make a bold declaration and then take action on it, she leaned into God's grace. Because there's this, there's this little shadow. I don't know if you noticed this or not. Did you notice what the spies gave her? They gave her a scarlet thread and said the same window that we came in and out of, I want you to put a scarlet thread in there. And I want this to represent the covering over your life that you are protected because of this. And you want know this pointed back to? See, not too long ago they were in a city and God was going to bring judgment on that city and instead of hanging a scarlet thread in the window, they killed a lamb and they put scarlet blood on the top and the sides of the doorpost. And it was a symbol to say this right here is God's salvation and God's protection. This is God's grace over your life. You know what else it pointed to? It pointed to the future where one day you and I would find God's grace underneath the blood, the crimson scarlet red blood of Jesus Christ who died on a cross for our sins. And she kind of leans into this, this like biblical metaphor, this biblical picture of grace that you won't find salvation just completely because of what you did. You will find salvation because of what you've come underneath. And when you come up underneath the grace of God, that's your protection. That's your salvation. It's not what you do. You need to do faith and you need to take steps. But at the end of the day, it's underneath the blood of Jesus, and that's what covers us, and that's what saves us, and that's what protects us. And she does it, she leans in on that, and we know that because here's by the end of the story, we find that she does find her salvation. Now, in finding her salvation, I want you to see what happens next. The fourth thing is this she stays connected, so she makes a bold declaration of faith, she begins to act on it, she leans into the grace of God, but then she stays connected. Now, here's what this means remember, I told you she was in the New Testament. She's in Hebrews 11. She's in James chapter 2. You know where else she is? Matthew chapter 1. You know what Matthew chapter 1 is? It's the boring part of the Bible that lists a bunch of names that we don't care about. Right? No meaning, no significance, just a bunch of weird people, weird names. And we just skip that over, don't we? You ever read through the genealogies and be like, oh my God, this is so good. Thank you, Jesus, for speaking to me today (laughs) through The begats. The begats. Changed my life today. Never done that before, have you? Maybe today you will. Watch this. So in Matthew chapter one, verse number five, it says that, that Salmon, Salmon? It's not pink, it's Salmon. It's salmon. Um, salmon, Salmon, Salmon. It's better than the first name that we had today. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of who? King David. If I keep reading down, what you find is the reason why Matthew put it in there was because he was trying to make sure that you understood that Jesus came from the bloodline of King David. But then you find out that King David has some crazies in his family. Because funny enough, there's two women in here and one of them is a pagan Moabite named Ruth and the other one was a Canaanite harlot named Rahab and they are found in the bloodline and the genealogy of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because what the Bible says is that Rahab, rather than staying on detour or even just having a moment where she received salvation and then returned to her life, the Bible says, well, watch this, this Joshua chapter six, verse 25. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family And all belong who belong to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho. And what what did this author say now? And she lives among them to this day. You know what she did? She was like, I'm not going back. Why would I let God save me just to go back to ridiculousness and foolishness? I'm jumping in. I'm gonna get some new friends. I'm going to have some new people. I'm going go to ch- I'm gonna go to church and temple and worship God. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm all in. I'm going to stay grafted and connected. And they embrace her and she becomes an Israelite. She becomes one of them. And she finds herself a sugar bow. She <laughs> finds her a man. Isn't that incredible? This woman's life was a total detour. The spies are on detour. Israelites are on a detour. But she says, I'm not going to let my life stay on a detour. I want to find the path of God that leans into his grace, that's accepted by his people. I, I want you to see that Rahab is this incredible story of redemption. And that's why the author put it in there. He put it in there so that you and I were always reminded that no matter where our life kind of veers off course, that God's grace has the redemptive power to bring it back. And he brings it back through Rahab until she finds herself talked about by the little brother of Jesus talked about by the writer of Hebrews. Crazy enough, this woman in this little story carved out of Joshua chapter 2 that really doesn't belong there, she finds herself in the bloodline of the Savior. I want you to know that your life is never beyond God's redemption, and God has the ability to do something in you that is so profound that it might not even be fully noticed for generations to come, but God wants to do something incredible through you. If you'll not Don't get lost in the detour. Allow God's grace to bring you back. Let's pray this morning. Father, I I bless you today and thank you today for this story of grace. That that, you know, maybe the point was is that even in the midst of of a book about war, the point was that your grace was still there. In in an idea where we were talking about a nation, you took a moment to talk about an individual. And God, today we find ourselves as individuals. We find ourselves as people needing your grace. So Father, I pray today, God, that we would open up our hearts. We would open up our minds. That God, maybe we would come to you and make a bold declaration of faith. Maybe, we would, maybe we'd confess our need for you. Maybe we'd confess our sins to you. We, we'd confess your greatness. We'd confess your salvation over our life. But then we would begin to act on it we'd be so grateful for what you've done for us, Lord God, that we would graft ourselves into your grand and master plan. Father, help us to get off the detour and to find ourselves right now, God, right in the middle of your grace. Father, we pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. and amen. Can you give the Lord a big hand clap this morning? Thanks again for listening to the New Beginnings Podcast. For more information on New Beginnings Church, please visit us online at nbchurch.tv.